Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please help us out by rating it. And don't forget to subscribe. Now, let's get into this week's message. Um, We are in the second week of a series called Anatomy of the Soul. We call this series that, coming from a, a quote from a guy named John Calvin. John Calvin once said, I consider the Psalms an anatomy of all parts of the human soul. He said that because the full range of human emotion is expressed in the Psalms. You will never experience anything that is not uh, sort of prayed in the Psalms. So what we do during this series every summer is we take a Psalm each week and then we just learn, man, how, what does it look like to relate to God from this position of the soul? Here's why that's important. Your life can be going awesome and you can be doing awful. Why? Because it's about the soul. Uh, your life can be going awful and you can be doing awesome. How? Because it's about the soul. So that's what we're doing during this series. Like, man, what does it look like to do soul care? Now, um, to head into the one we're doing today, Psalm 103, uh, pop quiz. Okay, this sermon's a little more teachy than preachy. So let me start with a pop quiz. What is the main point of the Christian life? Don't answer out loud. Try to get in your head. Um, so it's like, man, some people you look at and you're like, they were born to do that thing. You know, uh, you know, YouTube music, uh, Michael Jordan basketball. It's like, what is it that they, they were born to do something? Ask this question. What was I born again to do? Ask that question. So what is the main point of the Christian life? Now, pop quiz. Okay. Some of you guys heard that and you went, man, it's study the Bible. Like that's God's revelation of himself. I need to know God. So the main point, the highest thing I can do in the Christian life is study the Bible, okay? Some of you uh, may have said, no way, man, because it's not just about knowing God, it's about relating to him. So some of you might've said prayer. Prayer is the highest function of the Christian life because that's actually relating to God, okay? Now, there's a third category of you. They're actually a little closer. You may have said, man, no, no, no. It's not just about relating to God. It's helping other people come into a relationship with God. So you went, no, no, no. It's missions or it's evangelism. It's gospel advance. It's church planting, okay? Well, you're all wrong, okay? Here's what we got. What the Bible teaches, I'm gonna condense the entire theology of the Bible down into a few sentences right here. What the Bible teaches is that there is one thing that's none of those things that I just said that is the highest function of the Christian life. After you are done doing everything that I just listed, there is one thing that you will do for all of eternity, and it's the thing I'm about to say. It is so important that every other function of the Christian life actually fits in as a subcategory of this one thing, and that one thing is worship. Worship. When everything else is done, when there's no more evangelism left to do and Jesus has returned, you will spend eternity worshiping your creator. It's the highest function of the Christian life. Now, uh, if you're not tracking with me, let me quote, uh, let me anchor this uh, uh, with a quote from a guy named John Piper. Some of you guys love John Piper. Some of you are like, who is that? For some people, uh, their functional holy trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and John the Holy Piper. Let me just, let me do this. He does have an amazing quote. This is uh, the beginning of a book he wrote called Let the Nations Be Glad on the importance of world missions. This is what John Piper says. Listen, okay, this is profound. John Piper says, missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Now, right here, you may go, wait, is he downplaying the role of missions? No, he's actually explaining why, what what is the fuel and motivation behind missions? Remember, this is in a book about missions. So he finishes his quote saying this, 
When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. See, what you will do for all of eternity is you will worship and enjoy your God. And what I want to do in this, uh, what I want to do in, in this sermon is the whole sermon's about this. What does it look like for us to enjoy God in worship? What is, what, so what is it? You know, what, how do I do what I was born again to do? So if you've got your Bibles, get over to Psalm 103. Heads up, this is my favorite psalm that we'll probably do during this series. Every summer, I've picked up on this. There's a few of you that when we do this uh, series in the summer, you pick a psalm to memorize when we do the Anatomy of the Soul series. If you're going to pick a psalm to memorize, this is my choice for you. Memorize Psalm 103. That's my choice, okay? Now, let's get in and uh, let's do this together. Psalm 103, pick up with me in verse 1. David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's going to become very familiar to you. He's going to say that a lot. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who Now, here's what you're going to notice. After this, he lists all the benefits of knowing the Lord. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Amen. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Now, okay, I'm going to read this. And for you Bible scholars, I want to try to blow your mind here in a second, okay? Pay close attention. David says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now pause, okay? I don't have time to go into this. So this is a real quick side note for you Bible scholars. Some of you heard this verse and you went, wait, that sounds familiar. That's because David is quoting God in Exodus 34. God in Exodus 34 says this almost this exact same thing, but David changes the ending. In Exodus 34, God says this. God says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But then God in Exodus 34 says, he will by no means clear the guilty. David changes the ending and quotes him, and he changes the ending to, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Now, let me ask this question and I'll solve it in about 10 minutes in the sermon. So who's right? David or Moses? Will God, uh, will God by no means clear the guilty or will God not deal with us according to our sins? Which one? Okay, we're coming back to that. Nor repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Okay, Guys, I love this so much. Now, let me start here. with We're talking about worship, all right? And here's what I got to do. Like good builders, a lot of times they got to blast something out before they can build something up. I need to blast out some misconceptions about worship before we talk about what it is. So let me start here. What you got to understand is, is a few things. Number one, worship is not a feeling. 
A lot of people think that worship is a feeling. So I used to travel around and do a lot of like youth camps and events. And a lot of people, they have this kind of this mentality. It's like, man, when the band crescendos on night three of camp and all the 13-year-old girls cry, that was worship. You know, that was the moment when, when we really entered into the throne room. But let me just say this. Not all feelings are worship. In fact, I'd say on night three of camp, when you've had three hours of sleep and you, more sugar than you've ever had in your life, I could get kids to rededicate their lives to the Easter bunny if I wanted to. They, they would do anything if I, you know. So not all feelings are worship. And let me say this. Some of the worship in your... Listen, you will learn this the longer you walk with God. Some of the worship that pleases God most will be when you worship when you feel like it the least. It will be in moments when you say to God, God, I am worshiping you not because of what I see, but because of who you are. That is worship that pleases God. So worship is not a feeling, okay? Now, worship is also not a posture. Now, quick preface. Uh, We need to just acknowledge the Bible commands very expressive worship. It commands us to worship God with raised hands, uh, with shouts, with clapping. The Bible even uh, encourages us to worship with dance. Now that freaks some of you out, like really freaks some of you out. Some of you grew up in church backgrounds like mine, where it's like they didn't believe in premarital sex because they knew it would lead to dancing. It's like, you know, it's like, man, you understand? And so some of you are like, man, that is totally, totally not me. But let me just point this out to you that sometimes we can have this mentality like, man, when I worship with hands raised or when I clap or shout, that's worship. Well, let me show you something. Uh, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 16. Watch this. He, he says, when you fast, do not look like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that they may be seen by others. Now, here's what I want to point out to you. Jesus is saying you can strike a spiritual posture and still be displeasing to me. So what he's saying is, He's saying, worship is not a posture of the body. It's a posture of the heart. So that's not what I want. Worship is not a posture. Now, worship is also not singing. Now, some of us think, uh, we even use this language. We'll say about our services here. Man, there's the preaching part, and then there's the worship part. And you need to know, historically, Christianity has been called the singing faith. There is no other faith that is more full of song than Christianity because the gospel makes our souls sing. And so we have historically been the singing faith, but check out what God says in Isaiah 29. I just want to dismantle this, okay? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Did you guys know this? It's possible to have lips that's, it's possible to have singing lips, but not a singing heart. That's possible. And God says, that's, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not worship. So it's not just singing. Now, let me do one last one. And this is especially for if you're, you're a younger Christian. Worship is not just something that happens in a place. Even in my family, sometimes we'll wake up on you know weeks I'm not preaching and we'll wake up and I'll say, hey guys, let's go to worship. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not really what the Bible teaches about worship. I, listen, I can't say this often enough. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sticking your head in the oven makes you a biscuit. It's like, man, those things don't always connect. And so Christians do, listen, you need to know this. Christians do gather to worship and we should do that weekly. That's what we need. But just because you gathered doesn't mean you worship. Watch what Jesus says in John 4 to a woman who thought worship happened on a mountain. Now watch what he says about to to this woman. He says, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, so it's not gonna, worship's not going to happen where you think it will, 
nor in Jerusalem, not even there, will you worship the Father, but you will worship in spirit and truth. So what he's saying is, worship isn't a place, it's a posture of heart. Okay, now that we got all that out of the way. So here's what it is, okay? Did you notice in this psalm, the entire psalm is saturated with this phrase, bless the Lord. Six times David says it, bless the Lord, 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 bless the Lord. You guys know what worship is. Worship comes from a soul that blesses the Lord. Well, let me put it to you like this and make it really simple. Did you guys know um, the word that we use, worship, it comes from the old English word, worth-ship. That's where we got that word, worth-ship. So here's what worship is. Worship is when we give worth. Worship is when we respond to the value of something. That's worship. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, because he is worthy to be praised, right? That's all throughout the Bible. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's everywhere. So worship is worship. Now, this is what you may or may not know, okay? Even if you're here and you're not a person of faith, let me, let me kind of level the playing field really quick. What you need to understand is that you are already worshiping. You have never had a day in your life when you were not worshiping. There, uh, there is not, the world is not divided like this. People who worship and people who don't. Everybody worships, okay? That's the theology of the Bible. You've been created to worship and you always do it. Let me explain that uh, and give you a fun little example. Uh, in Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, there are seven words that get translated worship or praise. A uh, little side note, my favorite one is uh, the Hebrew word tehillah, gets, you know, means praise. Some of you are like, well, I can worship like that. That's your problem. That's your whole problem in life is that's what you're doing, right? So, so I've just always thought this is funny. Uh, the, 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 the verse, the famous verse literally reads this, I will extol the Lord at all times and his tehillah will always be on my lips. So you can, there's, and some of you just had a new favorite Bible verse that happened right there. But the most famous, the most common word that gets translated worship or praise in the Bible is the word hallel. That's where we get our word hallelujah from the word hallel. Now, when you hear hallelujah, we tend to think like Bach, right? Hallelujah. I'll never sing for you again, but that, that was it. We think like very, you know, formal, very stiff, very, you know, upright, you know, that kind of thing. That's not at all the picture of worship that we get in the Bible. Nothing like it. In fact, what I'm going to do, so I'm going to toss the definition from a Bible dictionary on my screen, the word hallel. So I want you to know, I didn't go dig this up. This is in every pastor's office in the whole world, this exact same definition. Here's what hallel, here's what praise means uh, in, uh, in Hebrew. Hallel, to shine, hence to make a show, to boast and thus to be clamorously foolish, to rave, to celebrate. That, that's worship. Now, that's right. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now, listen, you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like Neyland Stadium. That's what that sounds like to me. Now, can I, what I want to point out to you is this. Poked you right in the idol right there is what I did. What I want to point out to you is this. Everybody worships. Everybody has something in their life that they rave about, that they celebrate. Everybody has something that occupies what I'm going to call the position of glory in their heart, and their mouth constantly overflows with praise about that thing. You have something in your life that your time, your calendar, your budget just effortlessly flow to. And whatever that thing is, 
That is the thing that you are worshiping. So listen, let's just kind of get, get this out on the table. The question is not whether you will worship. The question is what you will worship. That's always the question in your life. Not whether, but what. So listen, if you're not a person of faith and you're kind of trying to go, man, what does it actually mean to become a Christian? Here's what it means. It means transferring your worship from wherever it is to God. That's all it means to become a Christian. Let me transfer my worship from the thing that it rests on right now, and I'm going to transfer that to Jesus. That's what it looks like to lean on him in faith, okay? So that's what worship is. Now, what David does in this psalm is he, he like, here's what he does. He pulls up the hood of your soul, and he gets into the mechanics of how worship happens in the soul, okay? So now track with me. Look down at verse 2. And you'll notice, so here's the structure. I'm, I'm getting like real Bible nerd on you right now. So you guys got to track with me. Let, me. let me nerd out at least once a series. Here's the structure of the entire psalm. David goes, forget, says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not, bless the Lord, O my soul, with all that is within me. And then he says, forget not all his benefits. And then notice this, David, for the rest of the psalm, just lists the benefits of being a child of God. Did you know all you need to worship is to be aware of the benefits of being a child of God. And did you know that whenever you cease worshiping, it's because you stop being aware of the benefits of being a child of God? That's always what's happening. So if my soul stopped worshiping, it's because my soul stopped remembering. That's always how it works. Now, let me show you how this works. I'll give you one example of this. Hebrews 13 says that praise is the, listen to this language, the fruit of of a heart that acknowledges his name. Think about that analogy, fruit, okay? Now think about how you make fruit. I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna get real awkward and weird here, but think about even, think about how a married couple produces the fruit of their marriage, okay? What, what, what produces physical fruit. When two people have a baby, what they are not doing, they're not sitting down and thinking through the mechanics of baby making. That's not how it works, okay? What happens is two people, two married people, they get, they get swept up in their love for one another. And then the fruit of them being swept away in their love for one another is a baby. In the exact same way, listen, when you worship God and you enter his gates, you don't enter his gates by thinking about the mechanics of worship. Raise my hands, sing this song, go to this place. That's not what happens. What happens is you just, David says in the song, you just get swept up in your great love for God in, in acknowledgement of his great love for you. And the fruit of that love spills over in worship. That's how worship happens and ignites in our hearts. Now, I want you to see what this looks like by, by giving you, a, to show you how this works in the Christian life. What I'm getting ready to show you, I saw this about 10 years ago. In my opinion, it's the best, uh, it is the best depiction of what the Christian life is like I have ever seen. So here's my diagram of the entire Christian life. Here you go, okay? It's called the cross chart. Now here's what it is, okay? Here's your entire Christian life. In this diagram, time flows from left to right. So here's the beginning of your life, and somewhere way over there, they stretch out all the way into eternity, okay? So time flows from left to right. Now if you are here and you're, a follower of Christ, at some point in your life, you had a moment of conversion. You were born again by faith in Jesus apart from anything you had ever done. And you realized that Jesus had accomplished everything necessary for your salvation. And then God filled you with his Holy Spirit and made you new. And he is continually making you new, transferring you from one degree of glory to the next day by day. Okay. So you had a moment of conversion. Now, what you didn't know was that at that moment of conversion, uh, something began to happen like, like this, okay? And, and here's what happens for the rest of the Christian life. 
The longer and longer you walk with God, the higher and higher and higher your view of God goes. So the longer I walk with God, the more aware of his holiness, the more aware of his love, the more aware of his justice and righteousness I become. I think much higher thoughts of God now than I did when I was 13 years old. So your view of God is always going up. Now, what most people do, this is very counterintuitive. On the other hand, pop quiz. The longer you're a Christian, do you view yourself as more righteous or less righteous? Okay. Okay. That's actually a trick question. Watch this. Actually, the longer you're a Christian, the lower and lower your view of yourself and your view of sin become. Here's what I mean. The longer you're a Christian, you're more aware of God's holiness, but you're also more aware of your sinfulness the longer you're a Christian. This is why the apostle Paul, the greatest Christian maybe who ever lived, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. The greatest Christian thought he was the worst sinner. Why? Because the longer you walk with God, the more and more aware you become of your sin. Now that creates a gap, doesn't it? So this gap gets bigger and bigger between God and you. Now what happens in the entire Christian life is as this goes up and this goes down, your awareness of what Jesus did for you on the cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the grace of God looks bigger and bigger and bigger. And you see his benefits more and more and more. And what that does is that produces more and more and more and more worship. That is how worship happens in the Christian life. Now, what David does in this Psalm is he takes us into that. Like he wants us in the Psalm to actually be moved to worship. So I want you to see what he does here. In verse 12, David says, as he says, Hey man, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about the benefits of being a child of God. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so, he, so far he removes his transgressions from us. The greatest example, what does that mean? What does it mean for God to remove his transgressions from us? Now, let me go back to the beginning of the sermon and solve the mystery that I set up. Who's right, David or Moses? Will God by no means clear the guilty or will he not deal with us according to our sins? The answer is in this phrase. He removes our transgressions from us. What this means, the best example of this, actually happens in Genesis 48. In Genesis 48, you may remember, Joseph brings his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to be blessed by his father, Jacob. You guys may remember, in in those times, uh, in those days, the older son always got the privileges of the family. So the older son got the family fortune, the house, the legacy. In Genesis 48, Jacob stretches out his hands to bless the two sons that have been brought to them, but he's blind. And so as Jacob stretches out his hands, he crosses his arms. And the hand of blessing falls on the younger son who was not supposed to receive the blessing. Joseph protests and he says, wait, dad, that's not what's supposed to happen. But Jacob responds, no, this is how God wants it. Why? Because he was giving a picture of the coming Messiah. You see, at the cross, what God did is he crossed his hands. He gave to Jesus the firstborn what should have come to us and to us what was coming to Jesus the firstborn. Theologians call this the great exchange. God's hand of curse fell on Jesus while his hand of blessing fell on us. And he removed transgression from us and he removed blessing from Jesus and he crossed his hands so that now Jesus got the curse that we deserve and we get the blessing that Jesus deserved. He became sin and we became righteousness. Guys, that will cause you to worship. That will do that to you. I love this even more. Verse 13. Oh, you guys are fun today. Let's keep going. Verse 13, it says, he goes deeper, not just what God did, 
Who God is moves us to worship. Verse 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Okay, Now, that's a great verse to read, but I think a lot of times it's lost on us. So let me bring it home to you what this means. God is a lot more kind than our hearts ever believe that he is. All, that is always true. More kind than our hearts believe. I'll give you an example. So I've, I've, I'm a father who has compassion for a daughter too. I've got a daughter that's two years old. My little daughter, Felicity, uh, was born with a birth defect that caused different parts of her body to grow at different rates early in her life. So when we took, this is a true story, we took Felicity to the pediatrician when she was two she was in the third percentile for height and body weight, and she was in the 98th percentile for head circumference. Now, what that means is she looked like a living bobblehead everywhere she went. I mean, it's like a little human lollipop, just, you know, everywhere she went, just kind of doing this thing. What that means is when she tried to learn to walk and she was taking her first steps, she really struggled. She would like crawl up to a, you know, a couch or whatever, and she'd just pull up and try to get that big old bowling ball head, and it would just roll around the whole time. And she'd keep on, and we would just gently just set her up. And then she just, you know, kind of do that thing. And then she'd try again and she'd try again. And every now and then she'd kind of get up and she'd kind of center that big old enormous head. And she'd try to take a step, but she'd just fall. And every time she did, Jan and I would always do the same thing. She'd stand up and she'd get that gleam in her eye. Like, I'm going to try this. And Jana or me would yell, Hey babe, come in here. And we'd always say the same thing. She's going to do it. She's going to do it. We believe you. You know, we'd say that, baby, we believe that you can do it. And then she'd fall over and over and over again until one day she did it. She stood up. She centered that big old head. She looked right at me and she just shuffled that one foot forward, sort of smiled. And she shuffled that other foot forward and we counted that as a step. Amen. And it, right. And we did that. We just erupted in applause and we were just so excited. Now, listen, I want you to think about this. When Felicity was pulling up on all those couches and she kept falling down and she'd take a step and she'd fall down and she couldn't walk across the room. Do you know what Jana or me never said? We never looked at her when she fell and said, idiot, moron. We never said like in exasperation, why can't you get your act together? Do you guys know why? Because like a father has compassion on his daughter, we had compassion on Felicity. We considered her frame. She's two. She's riddled with imperfections. And so, listen, some of you guys have this picture that God in heaven, every time, some of you are like at the newest part in your Christian life. You're brand new Christians. You were saved in the last two months here at the bridge. Dozens of you. And you think you have this picture of God in heaven where every time you try to live the Christian life and you take a step and you fall, you have this picture that God in heaven is like, idiot, moron, get your act together. And David says, you got it all wrong, man. Every time you try to take a step, what God's doing, he's in heaven. He's going, everybody come around. He's doing it. He's going to do it. I believe that he can do it. And then you fall and he picks you right back up and sets your feet on solid rock and he sets you off again. Why? Because listen, because he considers our frame and as a father has compassion on his children. So God has compassion on us. More than that, he, it says that he redeemed, not only did he remove our transgression, he removed us from the pit of our transgressions. It says, you deliver my life from the pit is what it says. Now, let me just, t- t- you know, kind of tip you in on this. If you're newer here and you come in and you start seeing people worship uh, with, with like a passion 
and they're excited about what God has done. And they just you know, they sing loud and they clap and you're like, what is wrong with these weird people? Well, what's happening is the shouts you hear in worship are the shouts of people who have been delivered from pits. So what I figured, listen, what I figured out about me is I'm an amazing pit finder. And here's what I found. What I found my entire life is there is no pit so deep that Christ is not deeper still, that his hand is never so short that it cannot save. And so, man, when you hear that, what you're hearing is the shouts and applause of people who were, who were redeemed from the pit of addiction, the pit of depression, the pit of slavery to sin, the pit of sickness, the pit of death and judgment. And listen, when I come in here and right before I stand to preach, and I sit in that third chair right over there and I'm trying to prepare my heart to stand in between two worlds and cry out a word from heaven to earth. What I'm trying to do is I'm standing there and I'm looking up and I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking back and I'm looking up. And when I worship and I praise my God, what's happening is, guys, I know me. (laughs) I know where I was and I know who I've been. And I know where I am now by the power of Christ at work in my life. And what that means is I'm not going to come in here and like golf clap my God (laughs) that redeemed me from the pit of slavery to sin. And so, man, so here's let me give you an analogy of what this is like. Um, years ago, I was driving through the state of North Carolina, and right on Highway 172 through the state, there's this military base on the side of the, uh, of the highway. It's called Camp Lejeune. It's the military base where all of the uh, large aircraft, they take off to like fly the Freedom Fighter uh, you know, missions and, and test runs and all that stuff. Camp Lejeune is where they come out, uh, come out of. And the noise was so loud from those aircraft taking off that some of the people in the town and driving through the, uh, the highway started writing letters of complaint to the city officials because of the noise. So all the military leaders got together on the base and they decided, here's what we're going to do. They put up a sign facing the highway. And here's what the sign says. It says, pardon our noise. That's the sound of freedom. That's what it says, man. I love that so much. Now listen, so man, when we come in and the Bible says, man, shout for joy be glad among all the nations, you know, applause, sing, all that stuff. What it's saying is, listen, that may make you feel weird. You may not be used to that. Well, listen, pardon our noise. That's the sound of freedom. That's what's happening, man, that God has done that to us. So listen, it does all those things. Now, listen, here's why you need it the most. And let me land this plane. Okay. Why you need it the most, you know, we, the reason you need a heart at worship the most is because there's nothing else that will carry you through every season of your life. What worship does, listen, what it does is it turns you into a person who can look around and say, man, it might be a war out there, but it's always a worship service in here. It changes you, okay? Um, I'll give an example of this from Habakkuk 3, and uh, this may, may feel a little teachy to land the plane on this sermon, but, but it's, it's important. This is Habakkuk 3. And you may notice this. A lot of people think that worship is what we do when awesome things happen. So I got the promotion, praise. The biopsy came back negative, you know, cry aloud. Um, The prayer was answered, uh, you know, shouts of joy, you know, worship. But have you guys ever noticed this, that in the Bible, um, the people who often seem to have the least reason for worship have the loudest worship? Have you ever noticed that? Man, it's like, it's Job Uh, loses his family. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord is given, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, Or Habakkuk 3. So here's one. Let me show you this. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom. It's like, man, that's like the contracts aren't coming in in my business. And there be no fruit on the vines. 
Our family just can't seem to have the baby. Though the yield of the olives should fail, profits are really down right now. And the fields produce no food. I can't make a sale. Though the flocks should be cut off from the fold, God, I can't feel you. And there be no cattle in the stalls. Man, I don't have any money. My bank account's low. Yet, now watch this. Yet, I will exult in the Lord. I will, listen, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like, watch this, hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. Now that may feel really weird to you. What does it mean for God to make my feet like hinds feet? That's weird. I mean, have you guys ever seen a, uh, like a mountain goat or an animal on a mountain? And you'll notice that any animal that lives on a mountain, they always have these real small front feet, but then their hind legs are huge and muscly. You guys know why that is? Because God made them to be able to, to scale mountains. So they needed all that strength in their hind's feet to be able to scale and push up and go over whatever mountain they face. Now, what this passage is saying is when we come into God's presence in worship and when I worship him, not because of what I see, but because of who he is, it, makes, it gives my soul hind's feet. It gives me a strength that I didn't have to get over the mountain that I would not have been able to traverse. You see, that's what that does. So listen, when we come in his presence, it can be a war out there, but it, it becomes a worship service in here. And, and some of you are that, in that exact place in your life where right now you look around at your life and it's a war and you don't know how you're going to get through. Well, listen, you're not going to work your way through. And I promise you're not going to worry your way through, but you, you can worship your way through. You can do that. And so right now what I want to do is I want us to be people who incline our souls to the Lord and say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And I will not forget his benefits. And so let's give him our souls even right now as we sit here. So right now I just want to pray with you. And I want us to enter in, into his presence to get strength that we don't have. So my Father, pray with me right now. Father, I invite your Holy Spirit into this room and I ask you to do the work that I cannot do, um, to preach the sermon that I cannot preach inside the chests of men and women. God, would you please give them hope they do not have? Would you remind them that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far you removed our transgressions from us. As far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great your steadfast love is towards those who fear him. And so Father, would you please set our feet on the solid rock of who you are and what you have done. Father, please do not let us forget all your benefits. Oh God, forgetfulness is the greatest enemy of faith. When we forget what you've done, we stop believing what you will do. And so God, we look back and we remember a crucified Jesus resurrected from the dead. And now we look at whatever we're going through in our lives and we know resurrection's coming. Resurrection's coming because my God has compassion on me as a father towards his child. And so God, we set our souls on the shelf of you. We trust you. On Christ the solid rock, we stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. And so Jesus, you are ours. Thank you for giving us resource for wherever we are. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen and amen.